Welcome to Worldview, a foreign affairs podcast from the Irish Times. I'm Chris Dooley. I think sitting in Dublin, uh, it's very difficult for people to actually imagine the depth of of suffering that's going on here. The coronavirus pandemic has given rise to distressing scenes from across the world over the past year, from the sight of army trucks in northern Italy transporting coffins to the more recent images of gravediggers in Brazil working through the night. Perhaps the most disturbing scenes of all, however, have come to us over the past week from India, where nightly news bulletins carry stories of seriously ill people being turned away from overcrowded hospitals, people dying for lack of oxygen, bodies piling up at crematoriums and dozens of funeral pyres burning at once. Every day now, it seems, India breaks the global record for daily infections. It recorded 380,000 new cases on Thursday and more than 3,600 new deaths bringing the total of fatalities to almost 205,000. And the most observers agree that these figures, shocking as they are, are a gross underestimate of the true picture. Rahul Bedi, our correspondent in India, joins me now from New Delhi. Rahul, India coped relatively well with the first wave of coronavirus infections last autumn. Why have things gone so catastrophically wrong this time? Well, there are multiple reasons for this. Uh, India actually coped uh, reasonably well uh, the first time round because the number of cases weren't that many. And also the virus hadn't mutated, which it seems to have now into two or three different mutations, which are proving to be spreading the virus very swiftly. Um, There was also an element of complacency in uh, Prime Minister Modi's government. In January, Prime Minister Modi had declared at the uh, Davos summit that India had uh, managed to contain the virus and he was lecturing the world on how he had been successful in doing so. Complacency set in and a series of events happened, a series of political events. The principal one of which was uh, state elections in uh, four states across India uh, and one federal territory. And uh, Mr. Modi and his assistant, uh, Home Minister Amit Shah, held a series of about 45 uh, rallies in the very critical state of West Bengal, uh, which were attended uh, on an average by about two or 300,000 people. And most of them uh, were unmasked. Uh, they did not observe any uh, social distancing. And uh, this became a super spreader event. (laughs) Alongside, there was a festival on the Ganges, which uh, Hindus consider very sacred, where in the course of one week, there were about four or five million people who bathed in the Ganges, again unmasked and uh, virtually on top of each other. So both these events, along with the complacency, Uh, exacerbated the uh, virus and we've reached a situation uh, that we are in now. And did the government take different measures the first time around last autumn that it has failed to take um, this time around? Well, the government uh, was very quick clamping down the last time around. Um, But uh, as a lot of people have pointed out, the clampdown came when India had something like five or six hundred virus cases. Uh, But this time around, the government has been very circumspect in fact, the government in uh, over the last couple of days has issued a series of statements where it says that everything is working well and uh, the virus is being uh, managed uh, to the best of its capabilities. 
but unfortunately, on the ground, uh, the situation is completely different because, as you said in your introduction, uh, the crematoriums are overflowing, the hospitals are uh, are also overflowing. There is no oxygen, there is no medicine, there are no ambulances, there is no testing uh, that is taking place, and uh, the number of uh, the virus-infected uh, people, as well as the number of fatalities, can be multiplied by a factor anywhere between 20 and 30 times the number. So it's really a, a catastrophe that defies uh, all explanation. Can you expand on that, Rahul, this difference between the official statistics and what people are, are seeing on the, on the ground? Is the government incapable of recording, you know, the, the sheer number of infections and, and deaths that are arising? Like everything else in India, whether it's the virus or any other aspect of governance, everything has become highly politicized. And uh, Mr. Modi is a consummate politician, and uh, he is uh, playing uh, this game uh, to to the hilt as far as the politics is concerned. And uh, Mr. Modi is obsessive about uh, securing power in all these four states that are going to the polls. And in fact, the results of these elections are due on Sunday. And everybody is anticipating uh, some action if Mr. Modi wins and a different reaction if Mr. Modi uh, if, or if his party does not manage to seize power in, uh, in these states, particularly in the state of West Bengal. So it's, uh, it's become more of a political slugfest between Mr. Modi and uh, the opposition uh, and uh, it's 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 so disastrous and so apocalyptic uh, that uh, despite having been a journalist for almost 40 years and covered all kinds of events, I'm completely uh, at sea as to how to describe this because uh, all adjectives are uh, inadequate. And I know, Rahul, you're, you're competing there with the sound of a bird behind you, but we'll, we'll carry on. Um, the Indian government, rule is taking a lot of flack internationally for its handling of the second wave. But what's the view in in India? Who do people blame for this disaster? People uh, on the ground really blame the government for it. But uh, the media is uh, controlled by Mr. Modi, uh, whether it's the television news or the print media. So the uh, blame um, is not on Mr. Modi. If anything, it's on the bureaucracy, the civil servants, uh, maybe some of the party members, but certainly not Mr. Modi, who is, uh, is you know, he's very Teflon-like. Nothing really sticks to him and he can do uh, very little wrong as far as um, uh, things are concerned. And also the government has come down extremely heavily on any kind of dissent. In fact, uh, just yesterday, uh, the, uh, the authorities, the police in the largest state of Uttar Pradesh in northern India arrested a young man, a 26-year-old man, for tweeting and that he needed oxygen for his grandfather, who unfortunately died a few hours later. So the police arrested this man for uh, spreading propaganda. So, I mean, as far as uh, the government is concerned, um, you know, anybody who opposes them or uh, criticizes them uh, is in for trouble. So everybody is terrified of the government and everybody keeps quiet. Uh, but privately, people are blaming Mr. Modi and his government for the inefficiency, uh, despite um, a lot of warnings that were uh, fairly obvious. And the infrastructure, the medical infrastructure has completely collapsed. Uh, it was bad at the worst, of, at the best of times, but uh, under the onslaught of the virus, 
uh, it's collapsed in cities like uh, Delhi, Bombay, uh, Bangalore. Um, and I can't even uh, start to tell you what's uh, happening in the smaller towns and the villages and rural areas of India. Uh, and I think, um, you know, India's numbers are really coming home to roost because uh, we have a population of 1.3 billion. And um, it's beginning to tell uh, that this pressure of population is, uh, is uh, the one that's really going to take India uh, down a very bad road because the predictions are that the virus is uh, going to peak by about the middle of next month. And it's going to continue uh, through May and maybe well into June. Uh, so we are looking at a timetable of uh, at least the next six or eight weeks before we can hope uh, any kind of uh, plateau situation is reached. And only then will the uh, cases start to decline. But then everybody's now terrified of a third wave and how the government is going to handle that. So it's, you know, one disaster after another. That's a really horrific picture you paint there, Rule, isn't it? Because we all know that um, fatalities tend to f- follow in the wake of infections, you know. So if, if the peak of infections is not expected until mid-May um, or even into June, that suggests that the, the numbers of people who are dying from this in India will be continuing to increase well into June. Well, there's another added problem, uh, which, is, uh, which is brewing up to be a controversy because Mr. Modi, the central government um, has federally controlled uh, the vaccine program. And uh, till tomorrow, actually, till the 30th of May, uh, people only above the age of 45 are uh, allowed to get vaccinated. And from the 1st of May, they've opened up the vaccines uh, to everybody above the age of 18. Now, there is a huge shortage of uh, vaccine because uh, even though Mr. Modi had tom-tom the fact that India is uh, the largest repository of vaccines in the world, I mean, India produces 62% of the world's vaccine, whether it's for the virus or whether it's for polio or for any other uh, disease. Uh, But Mr. Modi took to uh, diplomacy and uh, vaccine diplomacy and exported the vaccine to about 84 different countries before people at home had been vaccinated. So now with this first May deadline looming of uh, millions of people uh, who are eligible to be vaccinated um, from day after tomorrow onward, there's going to be a massive problem because uh, a lot of states are saying that they just simply do not have the vaccine to inoculate people. A lot of people are anticipating a law and order problem because if millions of people go to uh, dispensaries and hospitals uh, to get themselves vaccinated and don't find any vaccine there, there's going to be trouble. As it is, uh, a lot of frustrated patients who've been waiting in parking lots and in their motor cars to be admitted into hospital have taken to beating up doctors and nurses in their frustration. The police can't really manage uh, these problems because there's just not enough police around to manage it. So (laughs) we have another crisis looming over the next 24 or 48 hours uh, with the vaccination problem. And just to clarify there, Rahul, I mean, an Irish listener might listen to the, um, what you just told us about, you know, people over 45 having had access to vaccines up to now and it's going to open up to people over 18. And that kind of sounds sounds pretty good. You know, we're, we're not even there yet. But I think from what you're telling me, the actual rollout in terms of the numbers is still very, very low. 
Well, I think um, the current statistics are that about uh, less than 2% of Indians have been vaccinated. Uh, and the other problem is that in this second wave, uh, a lot of the victims have been below the age of 45 um, because they are the ones who actually go out and work and you know they go out to marketplaces and offices and whatnot. Now, a lot of the victims have been uh, of people who are below the age of 45 who, when they pass on, leave behind families, uh, which leads to, you know, um, economic and social problems, uh, which India is going to face over the next several years. Um, so uh, the vaccine uh, programs have been so badly uh, managed uh, that I really don't know how the government is, uh, is, is going to get around to it because, you know, you can imagine we have 1.3 billion people and even if we want to vaccinate about 70-odd percent to... Uh, achieve herd immunity, it's going to be, uh, it's going to take a minimum of maybe 12 to 14 months before we can achieve that. And uh, if that is provided, everything else is equal and everything works efficiently. Um, so, you know, we are looking at the middle of next year, uh, by the time we can inoculate a majority of India's population. It seems extraordinary to try to cut in because India is a major manufacturer of vaccines. Yes, India is uh, is the largest manufacturer of, uh, in fact, uh, the uh, AstraZeneca, the Oxford vaccine. There's been glitches in uh, in the manufacturing because a lot of the raw material that came in from the U.S. Uh, was not coming in for a variety of reasons. Um, but now the U.S. seems to have relented and has agreed to supply that raw material. So they are kickstarting the manufacturing, but it's going to by the time it ramps up, it's going to be maybe June or July that it come, comes up to speed. Uh, and India has also been a little laggard in uh, in allowing other vaccines in, you know, the Pfizer vaccine or the Johnson & Johnson vaccine. So it's multiple problems and multiple mismanagement uh, at all levels uh, by the authorities. What areas are worst affected, Rahul? Is it mainly the big urban centres? Are they worst hit or are rural areas and villages suffering as well? Well, uh, the rural areas, actually, there's a... Oh, just hold on, sorry, there's a siren going off because a curfew is being imposed here. A curfew has been imposed, did you say? Just just, just hold on. It'll, uh, the siren will, uh, will stop shortly. Curfew has been imposed in Delhi and uh, several cities across, uh, across the country, including uh, Mumbai, Bangalore, uh, a lot of the metropolitan areas. Uh, and a lot of the smaller towns. Uh, the curfew is enforced at about 6 o'clock in the evening and it goes on for about 12 hours till 6 o'clock the following morning. Uh, in some areas, in fact, in uh, Delhi, uh, there's, there's a lockdown and movement uh, is, is very restricted. In Mumbai, movement is completely restricted. In Bangalore, it's uh, for the next fortnight, uh, there's been no, it's a complete lockdown. Only people with special passes uh, are allowed. Uh, shops are allowed. Uh, shops selling, uh, you know, food and uh, essential items are allowed to remain open, uh, but everything else is closed. Restaurants, of course, are closed. There's no public transport. Medicine shops are allowed to be open. Uh, so this is the, what you heard. Really, was the uh, beginning of uh, the evening curfew, uh, which uh, will now go on till um, till tomorrow morning. What is life like in New Delhi now, Rule? Is there any social interaction at all? I mean, how are people reacting to what's happening? 
No, actually, the 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 mood is one of uh, terror and uh, and complete uh, chaos, and everybody is uh, scared, and uh, very few people are moving out. Again, uh, it's a it's a social and uh, economic divide. People who live in houses uh, or in flats by themselves, uh, they are a lot safer. Uh, but the majority of the city is uh, herded together in small confined spaces, uh, so that's a problem. Um, so uh, Delhi, like all the, the cities across India and all the villages across India, is uh, is really terrified and doesn't really know what the outcome is likely to be. It's uh, I mean everybody is resorting to the old Indian philosophy of karma uh, and. Um, that's uh, sort of seeing a lot of people through. <laughs> and uh, Indians generally, because of uh, culturally, you know, we have a very high threshold of uh, of tolerance. You know, we believe a lot in karma and fate. So it's it's a lot of, you know, there's a lot of religiosity involved and a lot of, but the kind, the way, I mean, I, in fact, I'm going to find the story today. I mean, a lot of these Hindu priests are talking about the efficacy of cow urine. They, they think that uh, human, the cow urine has uh, properties which can cure cancer, it can uh, delay aging, and now they're saying it can even uh, allay the coronavirus. So this social media today is awash with these uh, clips of these Hindu priests and Hindu leaders who are turning around and uh, propagating the use of cow urine. And just to go back to the question, Rule, that I was asking before the siren went off, what areas of the country are worst hit? Is it mainly the big cities or is it more widespread than that? Well, uh, it's it's pretty uniform. Um, the, the urban centres, of course, are uh, a little worse hit, but now the rural areas are also being uh, hit because earlier in the, in the first round, a lot of the villages and smaller towns were spared uh, for whatever reason, they, they didn't get affected so much. But this time round, for a variety of reasons, a lot of people are going returning to their villages from the cities, and uh, they're being they're carrying the virus back with them. Uh, so that's another added problem, which uh, nobody really can do anything about because volume of people involved is so huge that India just does not have the resources to deal with it. You had an interesting story in today's Irish Times, Rule, about a major building project in New Delhi that the government has insisted must go ahead, even in the middle of this huge wave of infections. Tell us about that. Well, uh, the the project is basically um, uh, construction of a new parliament building, uh, several government offices, uh, the a new residence for the prime minister, and a new residence for India's vice president. Uh, this is spread over about uh, about three uh, three kilometers and about 86 acres of land. And uh, this is, the cost of this whole project is about a little over 2 billion euros. And Mr. Modi wanted uh, this, uh, this was uh, initiated in 2019. And it came up, um, there was a lot of criticism surrounding it because it's environmentally uh, not very sound and it's going to destroy a number of buildings that were built uh, you know, almost 100 years ago. Um, so the series of about 10 buildings that are going to be built and Mr. Modi has, um, has not heeded uh, anybody's advice and uh, he's continuing with this project. And in fact, only uh, a few days ago, uh, the uh, Delhi police, which is controlled by the federal government, 
gave permission to about uh, 180 buses and trucks to ferry about 5 or 6000 laborers to the construction site to continue with this project because for some strange reason mr modi has set a deadline of 30th of november for completion at least of the parliament building the old parliament building is very serviceable it was built uh, by the british uh, completed in about 19 late 1920s early 1930 and is still very very serviceable but mr modi doesn't seem to think so so he's pursuing this uh, at the cost of uh, you know at the cost of oxygen at the cost of uh, intensive care units and hospitals at the cost of testing facilities at the cost generally of uh, uh, of of public life as the one of the opposition leader called it it is she said it was a self indulgent project uh, which was aimed at uh, mr modi's uh, grandiloquence um but mr modi doesn't seem to be affected by any criticism and he's pursuing this and it seems almost irrelevant for you to ask about the electoral prospects of any politician in, in light of the suffering that people are going through now but i'm still curious to know given what you said earlier about modi's control of the media and of social media and so on but you did indicate that you know privately people are blaming him so i'm wondering do you think he will suffer at the ballot box in future I don't think so I don't think so I think uh, Mr Modi has very successfully decimated the opposition and there is no opposition to Mr Modi and also Mr Modi has uh, very successfully tapped into the Hindu sentiment uh, in India I mean India is a country uh, which is about 80% Hindu uh, about 18% Muslim and uh, you know the rest are uh, Sikhs and Christians which are a very very small number and the majority hindu community is uh, is supportive of mr modi because mr modi has given them a voice he has uh, come up with a with a narrative that says that you know hindus were dominated by the muslims for a thousand years by the british and now it's time for them to uh, for their resurgence and to to assert themselves and uh, mr modi is the chosen weapon of uh, of the hindus um to uh, to do so and in a sense he's weaponized religion very successfully uh, so to answer your question about the ballot box the ballot box is due next time round in 2024 and i think by then mr modi will uh, have whitewashed uh, the entire pandemic uh, presuming it will be over by then and he la whitewashed all the problems the lack of oxygen the hospital the deaths the cremations the everything he la very successfully whitewashed it and painted himself as a sort of a savior of uh, of india and i think he's very good at that he's extremely adept at uh, managing uh, the media managing the social media and uh, he's also an extremely good orator he so i think uh, mr modi is as of today it's unlikely to suffer at the ballot box because there is no opposition and uh, he enjoys a very good uh, rapport with the majority hindu community and just to come back then Ruth, to the, the the trauma and the suffering of of the moment we know that some international help has begun to arrive in in india and Ireland for example sent some medical supplies and and ppe is this international help making any difference on the ground well it's pouring in um uh, principally oxygen uh, units are pouring in concentrate oxygen concentrators are pouring in 
there's some vaccine uh, raw material that's pouring in. Uh, it'll probably start to show results in the next week or 10 days. Uh, the military has been uh, dragooned also to uh, help out. Uh, the Air Force has deployed a lot of its aircraft, transport aircraft, to various countries around the world to fly in oxygen plants. So I think it's going to take about another week or 10 days before at least the oxygen problem is resolved. Um, the military and paramilitaries are also setting up, uh, you know, 500,000 bed hospitals uh, to take care of people. So that's also going to take a few, uh, I think, a few weeks uh, before they're up and running. Uh, so the suffering is going to continue, and um, the the number. I mean, it's this time round in the second round. It's come so close to everybody. I mean, there's nobody who doesn't know somebody close who's uh, suffering or has or has passed on because of the virus. Uh, every time, personally, I mean, every time my phone rings, I I dread uh, picking it up because. <laughs> It's all about news of who who's the who the latest victim is who's been felt by uh, the virus. So it's uh, it's it's really one is living in a complete state of uh, of terror and uh, hopelessness and fright and uh, and panic. Well, Rahul, it's a it's a very grim picture. But thank you for coming on the podcast to talk about it today. Thank you. That's all for this week. For more on this and other international stories, go to irishtimes.com. Thanks for listening. Goodbye for now.